0: So welcome to all. Grace Community Church, we want to welcome those who are watching, uh, listening online this morning. We certainly consider you a vital part of our worship service. There's the camera right there. To those who are online, watching online, welcome, and Merry Christmas. Okay. The birth of Jesus the birth of Jesus, the day deity set foot on earth, humanity was invaded. It's quite a story, isn't it? If we think about the incarnation, God in the flesh. You know, we've all probably had God moments. And the world had a God moment on Christmas when God appeared in flesh and blood. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. And and I don't claim to be the sharpest knife in the drawer anyway, but I don't understand all that. It is so beautiful, it is so magnificent, it is so glorious. And I know that every detail is true, yet within my finite mind, I can't really wrap it around God in the cradle, God in the womb, still holding the universe together. The one who spoke what is into being. The one who said, let there be light. The one who was there who created man in the likeness and image of him. The one who was there. The one who holds all things together in fetal form. Come on. That's a God moment. You know, I, I had a little simple God moment, and, and this is just a little bit on the light side, but uh, kind of a personal note. Uh, as you well know, uh, and I don't want pity, I'm not looking for sympathy, but I've had oh, horrible surgery, and I've been in terrible, terrible pain, and uh, <laughs> there, there, Gary gave the best response. <laughs> but I want to tell you about my God moment. I was in town last week, and, and Connie and I uh, uh, wanted to go out and have a little dinner together, and, and I was hurting. I really was. I was having some pain issues, and, and uh, uh, I, I'd gotten off my drugs because I hate those things, so I quit taking them, and, and so I, I wasn't feeling good. I, was, I had an attitude. I had an attitude. I had an attitude. So we went to, uh, to get a good dinner, and, and, and I'm kind of grumbly and talking, you know, carrying my plate and trying to get my food. And I sat down at my table, and I, as God is my witness, the minute I sat in the chair at the table, I looked up, and setting one table away was a man with one arm. Perspective perspective. A man come in and he had a prosthetic mechanical arm. Now, I know you've probably had those little God moments and we got that nice song. We sang, he touched me. I wish God would just gently touch me once in my life instead of hitting me upside the head with a two before. Perspective. Perspective. But the birth of Christ is is really about bringing everything into perspective, bringing everything into focus, and, and letting us know what's really important. What's really important, even having a little fun with the kids here this morning and talking about presents and lights and cookies and flowers and all those things. But what's really important, if there were no lights, if there were no cookies, if there were no other presents, if there were no flowers, would we still have Christmas? Yes. Yes. We would still celebrate because God has given us His Son. His Son. David Jeremiah says, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, deity invaded humanity, eternity invaded time, and royalty invaded poverty. The timing of his birth was a miracle. In Galatians 4, Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. That's us. That's us. Joseph and Mary had waited nine months. Brothers and sisters, the world had waited over 4,000 years for this moment. The trip to Bethlehem was a miracle. In the fulfillment of prophecy, the prophet Micah says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, we who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Hello, Jesus. The incarnation was a miracle. John 1.14 says "Of the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. But there's one question I have and that's where our message is gonna come into focus. One question, why the manger? Why the manger? The title of the message your gift cannot be delivered until it's received. That's the process of salvation. Today we're going to celebrate the night of love, the night of grace, the day of mercy, the day of hope, the day of joy, the day that peace appeared. But we can know nothing of that until we receive the gift. Receive the gift. Why the manger? Very quickly, we're going to be in Luke's gospel. Actually, we're going to return to chapter 2 in just a moment. But in chapter 1, I want us to capture this little truth about the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he says this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Verse 3 It seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account. For you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Folks, that's important. Luke says, there's one thing I want you to understand. Everything that I'm about to say, everything I'm about to write is important. And I am going to be very detailed and I'm going to be absolutely accurate. Every word that's going to be penned on this paper is going to be under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And you can believe it. You can believe it. The psalmist, after giving a great introduction into the awesomeness of God, says these words, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? That we can continue to praise the Lord for the great news, the good news of great joy. Would you stand with me, please, at the reading of today's text? Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Why in a manger? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Father, I pray your blessing on the reading of your word as we give it honor, as we give it our most deep and sincere attention May we hear these wonderful, beautiful words of truth like it was the first time. And may we just be left in awe and wonder of what a God you are. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So what brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem? Well, it would be very logical to conclude, and the scripture obviously says this to, to assert to, to an absolute degree, that it was a decree from Caesar. But I want to know, was Caesar really in charge of this whole thing? Yeah, isn't that amazing? Matter of fact, I'm not going to give Caesar any credit at all. He just happened to fall into God's plan <laughs> for the unfolding of the plan, for the revealing of his plan. A decree from Caesar didn't bring Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. No, a decree from God did, ordained from prophets of old. Augustus Caesar was ruler, but God was in charge. Caesar issued the decree, but Mary was appointed to provide the delivery. A.T. Pearson says history is God's story. It's God's story. The first thing that I'd like us to consider in this very simple message this morning why the manger? Because I believe the manger perfectly pictures the rejection of Christ. Now I believe that the innkeeper may get a little undeserved criticism. He really couldn't do anything about being full. So we got to be careful as to how much flack we give the innkeeper. Besides, this was the biggest nights of the year, you know, biggest periods of of the year, any Jewish holiday or anything that was going on. And certainly a census like this would have drawn countless people to his facility. We know there was no room in the inn. Joseph and Mary probably had arrived late. It was three or four day journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, about 80 miles. And I wanted you to think about it and no criticism here. But how many men in here have traveled with a pregnant wife? Okay, it takes longer to get from point A to point B. It just does. A few more bathroom stops on the way. You know, I had a little trouble with my wife this morning. So the best thing to do would be shut up right now. There's five people in our household, and she only has four of them to get ready before herself. And I had to be on her every minute. I want to thank my wife and my grandkids for the care that you have given Grandpa for the past two weeks. You guys have been awesome. You guys have been awesome. Good answer. (laughs) They were not given a room at the end. This we know. There was no room. But is there an application here that reaches beyond this story? Is there a principle that reaches beyond no room at the end? The world is giving less and less room today for Jesus, my friends. There is less room for him to abide. There is less room for him to be made known. The story of Christ is much about his rejection. In John 1 verses 10 and 11 it says, He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. His rejection is what would lead to his mission. It would take him to the cross. It would take him to a point when he would hear the shouts, Crucify him! Crucify him! The inn was full. There was room for everybody else. There was room for business. There was room for pleasure. There was room for comfort seekers, but there was no room for Jesus. There was no room for Jesus. So we must ask the question Do you have room for Jesus today? Do you have room in your busy life schedule right now? Is there a place in your Christmas celebration for the Son of God? And by the way, who owned the manger? See, I've got all these questions. I need to start making a more accurate list because when I get to heaven, I'm going to want to, is that what's going to happen when I get to heaven? I'm going to want to know something? No. But who, who owned the manger? Innkeeper? Yeah, maybe so. Maybe it was a back lot outside the cave. I don't know, you know, or a cave out in the back lot. But I do believe we can see this principle of rejection. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Most High God, the Wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, had to be born in a manger. So, the manger not only pictures his rejection, I believe it also perfectly pictures the redemptive work of Christ. The shepherds were given two signs wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, I would want to, I, I just wonder how many people would be looking for the Son of God under those two descriptions. Where would the Son of God be born? And here's how you will find him, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I know I was uh, kind of uh, wondering a little bit in thoughts last night. And, and, and see, I have, I'm weird I'm strange. Raymond, don't you say anything? <laughs> but but my mind kind of wonders and and, and see, I, I think maybe, just maybe, connecting to the humanity of Christ, although he is full deity, the fullness of deity, he is also fully man. And we may have a little more trouble connecting with that portion of his being. But somebody had to change his diapers. Right. So, so there you are in in a in a manger scene in a stable, uh, a carve out in the stone, a, a cave. And Mary wakes up and said, "Joseph, mighty God just left you a gift. Would you please change his diaper?" Look, I'm not being disrespectful. Please understand that. I, I, I don't want to sound <laughs> blasphemous. But it's, it's the power of this moment. It's the power of this occurrence, this occasion. Hey, Mary, the baby's crying. Would you please feed the Prince of Peace? Can we even begin to understand that as these things were being revealed to Joseph and Mary? And we know that eight days later, a a great revelation would be made to Mary, but it would be made with a promise of pain and sorrow. The Son of God born in a livestock stall in Bethlehem, this backwater community of Israel in its day. Born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, house of bread, is this meaning. Placed in a feed trough. And Jesus said this, the one who was born in the city of the house of bread, the one who was placed in a feed trough says this, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And in a livestock stall, we find the lamb of God. Does this seem to come all together here? When we say, why a manger? Why a manger? And now what echoes down and back through history, back to the time of Abraham we can finally proclaim with absolute certainty the promise has been fulfilled. Abraham, the lamb, has been provided. John Baptist introduced him to the world when he said this. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why was he born in a manger? It seems to fit with the lamb of God. The revelation that John gives us records the glory of the Lamb and I'd like to read just some select passages here. In Revelations 5 and 19, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. If you, for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. Then they looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands saying with loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing welcome lamb of God in Revelation 7, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Revelation 15 and 3 says, And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of all nations. Two more, please. Revelation 17 and 14. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those who with him are called, chosen and faithful. faithful. Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride was made herself ready. That's why he was born in a manger. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God. The redemptive work of Christ is written all over the manger in this little town of Bethlehem. Because Christ is the Lamb slain before the creation of the worlds. Thirdly, the manger perfectly pictures the reachability of Christ. Christ. This speaks of his access. There are no restrictions in coming to Jesus, folks. And I want to warn you very clearly, you cannot and must not try to be pre-qualified. Pre-qualified. Jesus is a come-as-you-are Savior. Savior. A come as you are, Savior. A come as we are, Savior. There are no restrictions. There are no special qualifications needed. Just come. Just come. Shepherds in the fields were the first ones to announce, to bear witness and announce the birth of the Son of God. The lowest of the lowly, the dirty, smelly old shepherds. Were the first ones there? Why, they fit well at a manger. They fit well in a manger. The bottom of the social strata go to the least of communities, villages in the kingdom, to worship this Messiah. Luke two and verse twenty says, "And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard, seen, as it had been told to them." Welcome, good shepherd. John 10 records the words of our Savior when Jesus proclaimed himself to be, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. You no, know, there's a great question, and I've, uh, I've presented it before. I know, and, and it comes from a great, you talk about a children's song as we sang away in the manger this morning. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I think just a little turn on that brings some new perspective. Jesus knows me, this I love. Jesus knows me, this I love. Because you see, Jesus said, there will come a day when many will say, Lord, Lord. And I will say, away from me, I never knew you. And you know what? I try to and have always just naturally had a pretty open book lifestyle. There probably isn't a whole lot about me that you don't know, but there's a whole lot about me that you don't know. And there are some wicked spots in my heart that probably only God knows, and I pray that he reveal them to me very quickly so they can be eradicated because only God knows the depth of a man's heart. But I do know this, Jesus knows me, and Jesus loves me, and I hope and I pray that you can all say that with full confidence. Jesus has been welcoming welcoming those who come ever since, as surely as the shepherds would come and sometime later the wise men would come. You know, I, I want us to be careful, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here as we begin to wrap this up, but but... You know, we sometimes we limit things just, I don't know, through tradition or whatever, we begin to put these limits on things. I wonder how many people were there when the wise men actually came. I wonder. I, I've always wondered that. There's no way of knowing there were three. We know there were three gifts, but we have no way. And, and if every wise man having a status that they would have had in that day would have probably had their own entourage. They'd have had their own accompanying helpers and everybody else. What if there were 500 people there that day? Huh? We don't know. We don't know. But we do know this. Know that knew this. We knew this and we know it now. Amen. From the lowly. To the high, all were welcomed. All were welcomed. His birth drew Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. His birth drew angels from heaven. His birth drew shepherds from their fields and flocks. His birth drew wise men from the east. His birth drew interest of kings and rulers. Has his birth drawn you? And it's because of his death and resurrection that he has been drawing men ever since. And he gives us this promise in the sixth chapter of John's gospel. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Brothers and sisters, do you hear that promise? God gave his son to us. Then he turns right around and he gives us to his son. Wow! Wow. In Matthew 11 28, it says, Come to me, the words of Christ. All, all, everybody say all. All, no exclusions, all who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. You see that when we respond to Christ, we then get the gifts, we got to receive Him before God can deliver. Do you see it? Do you see it? We got to receive the gift before God can deliver the joy, the hope, the peace, the comfort, all the things that come through a personal relationship with Christ. So here we are in the year 2020. What year is this? 2022 still. (laughs) And people are still coming. Don't you believe for a minute that Christianity is dead, my friends? Don't you listen to what the world says. Don't you listen to what the naysayers say. Don't you listen to what the news says. Don't you pay any attention to the lies the devil is presenting to the world and the church today. Christianity is alive and well and people are still coming to Jesus and getting saved. And we live in one of the most exciting periods of time that could ever be imagined by mankind. Because Jesus is coming again. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, come. But are you ready? Are you ready for that appearing? There's still time because it appears that everybody in here is still alive. Can't see everybody. But you see, the the tragedy of even that statement, we can be very much physically alive, we can breathe, we can see, we can hear, we can touch, we can have all the fine senses that God has given us and still be dead. And still be dead. So the question is, are you alive in Christ? Are you alive in Christ? And you know what the beauty of that, the the phenomenal thing about that is you got to die to get there. you got to die to get that life. So don't forget, Christmas is as much about dying as it's about being born. But it's really leading us to this. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Born twice? Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right we got a testimony up here. Yeah. That's when you ought to say, could I have a testimony? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, on this most special day, it's time that we wrap up our time together so you can get to your family and friends and all the, uh, the very fun, the very fun activities that lie ahead. But please, let God take a look at your heart. Just let him say, Lord, here I am. In this private moment, here I am. I want you to look inside, and here's what I want. I want you to tell me what you find. Tell me what you find. Is Jesus there? <laughs> have, have I really accepted this Christ child as my Lord and Savior? Do I know him personally? Is he more than just a character in history? Is he more than just a story in a book? He's real. He's real allow him in today. Father, thank you for the time that we've had. Thank you for this this moment of consideration. And I pray, Father, that according to your goodwill and pleasure, if there are any decisions to be made this morning, that by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, you would bring that about. And we would rejoice in whatever work you have accomplished here this morning. For it is to your glory alone, to your